0: So my friend Catherine Voy showed me this guy's Instagram, and he his name his handle is something like Lucky Boy Venezuela or something like that. <laughs> Anyways, he is a like his per, the persona he projects is like super tough Latino gangbanger with like full body tats, but he's incredibly overly sexual and he's gay, and he, but he like puts it out there in an intense way, and so most of his videos are him shirtless or completely naked doing what I do in those videos basically. Just being like, (laughs) hey, it's your boy. This goes out to all my fans and all my friends. He doesn't have fans, but he says to all my fans, and it just, I thought it was so funny that I just did one video that was pretty close to what he did, like, over a year ago, yeah. and then I just kind of kept going with it. <laughs> and it's the most, it's like the stupidest thing to do in a public forum, because it is the biggest inside joke that only me and my one friend who knows about him know, really. But it's become a character that I've grown up <laughs> <clears throat> I, I feel like Instagram is just sort of a, an experiment. Uh, yeah. It's a character experiment. That's a really good way to
1: put it, yeah. Yeah. Wow, <clears throat> so we are recording now, so for those of you who caught that, go and check out his Instagram to see what we're talking about. It's <laughs> so the sucky thing about audio podcasts. Is... Yeah, yeah, I'll just, desc- I'll, I can just really describe it.
0: So <laughs> I'll tell you what Instagram looks like.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, good morning everyone, welcome to, uh, I think this is episode 37, it's been a while since I've uh, posted, so took a little break for the holidays I
0: guess. Congratulations on well, coming back. And this is the comeback be- is happening. This yeah. is going to be the best one you've ever done. Well, no, I am
1: I am genuinely excited. Good. This is not Me a too. fluffy excited kind of thing. This is because I really loved your movie, Band of Robbers. Thank you. And we will get into that later. By the way, this is Adam Nee. Hello. <laughs> Writer, okay. director, editor. Probably did other things yes. on it. a couple <laughs> things that I can't even say. Pro- I, yeah, I get exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we're uh, we're happy to have you here today, so thanks for joining.
0: Thank you for joining me in my house. <laughs> yes, thanks for letting me <laughs> in your house, yes. We're, we're happy to have you oh. here today. <laughs> Thank you. This is actually my podcast. It's my 37th. Are you hijacking <laughs> Yes, podcast? Yes, hello. I'm Adam E, and I'm sorry that I've been on a little bit of a break lately. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be my first podcast, okay, and well. my first guest today is Andrew Fromer. Fromer? Yeah, you said it right. Good yeah. job. Thank you. You're welcome. welcome. So what's your first question? So Andrew, <laughs> uh, you seem like a chancy guy. What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done? Okay, that's a
1: great question. I'm, ha- uh, um, I guess, <sighs> dangerous. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is I did a short film in my early acting career. We did a shot where it was first. It's first of all a film that like has no business being shown. existing. Like it has no business existing. <laughs> I have a couple of those, <laughs> um, and it doesn't exist yet. Okay, like, the, it's yet to be put out. Anyway, we did a shot where I, it was at night, and I was handcuffed, and I'm running in between two cars. No. with a, So one of the cars has the camera, so that's the rig, and the other one is chasing me.
0: And so one's behind, one's in front. Yeah, in so between, I'm, I'm in between It's car. not parallel cars, it's like you're going to get smushed like a motorcycle on the freeway. You're I'm, in front of a car. I'm in front of one car and
1: behind another, and they're both moving, and I'm running along with them, yeah. hands cuffed behind my back. <laughs> oh night god. in an alleyway not lit oh my god <laughs> yeah we... that is chancy yeah it definitely I knew
0: you were a dangerous guy a all the rumors guy. are true yeah yeah definitely <laughs> oh is that the movie that's gonna come out no no no, no, no that one's never coming out you should just yeah. release that shot as an instagram video if i had it i would oh you don't even have the shot i don't
1: have the shot i didn't make it i, I was just an actor in it oh and uh the director um, is, like, holding on to it for some reason.
0: Yeah. Well, that stuff's right. precious. That kind of footage, yeah. you know, he'll be able to it's put it in a museum someday. <laughs> Maybe. Smithsonian, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining. And <laughs> Yeah, thanks for coming, Andrew. Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. Glad we could start. No, I'm going to do my sign-off now. Whoop, <laughs> <laughs> whoop, 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 Bye. <laughs> How's that? Is that a good sign-off?
1: It <laughs> was great. I kind of do just want to end it here. It's a four and a half minute. <laughs> four and a half minute podcast. Yeah.
0: It was good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Anyway, enough of the shenanigans. All right. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so we're here to talk about you okay. and your fine, fine work. Oh, thank you. So uh, let us begin at the beginning,
0: where is usually a good place to okay. start. You're yeah. from Florida originally, right? Uh, yes. I was born in New Orleans and I moved to Florida when I was like two, I think, two years old. Moved to Winter Park, Florida um have you ever been to winter park florida no it's the one part of orlando basically that is now becoming kind of cool um apparently the brooklyn of it's the brook well it's like the super yuppie brooklyn of orlando it's like the one changing part of orlando orlando is such a weird orlando is like this melting pot it's I feel like Florida and Orlando in general are kind of like this melting pot, but where like the, the different m- things aren't melting together. They're all just kind of separate <laughs> in a bowl. Um, it's not like there's not a lot of mixing. It's such a strange, um, strange place. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I started. Yes. That's, a, that's why I started to be a human. <laughs> um,
1: what was your uh, high school experience
0: like? I was at- homeschooled. Really? The whole way never went to school. I went to summer school for Algebra 2 at popka High School. And uh, it was such a strange experience um, for me. Because yeah, I did. I was a part of this organization called Circle. And it was basically what you would do is you would go to like one or two classes a week at this school building. And the rest of it was home. And so like, I, yeah, I was homeschooled all the way. Wow. Isn't that
1: crazy? That's surprising because... Most most people in the industry you'd meet are like like high school because I I talk about it all the time because it's such a weird incubator for you know us as as artists if you will because it's such a shitty time. Yes, <laughs> you know,
0: totally true. Well, I think that's why like I was so good at networking with my brother that that's why we ended up working together. Ah, you know, I just really like networked with him and got him to think I was interesting, and so we started working together. But yeah, it, you know, it's like um, I think it was. I think it was probably similar in terms of the dynamics that you experience in high school. It was just in a very micro way because I, we would go to some classes. So in those classes, there would be, um, you know, the jock kids or the super popular kids or the nerds or the band kids or the goth kids. Um, but in just like a small, you know, 30 person class that you went to only once a week, Um but, yeah, it, it was different. And and a lot of the homeschool kids, that I mean, I know a, a lot of homeschool kids, and some of them have ended up being just incredibly, like, social, gregarious, you know, well-adjusted people. And then some of them, like, don't, you know, are like cave people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So
1: um, in terms of uh, kind of developing your love for the arts, I guess, where did that
0: start? That's a good question. I guess, um I think it was from probably my parents uh, just introduced us to cool stuff early. I remember some of the first movies that we um, would be shown were like The Thief of Baghdad, like the silent version. And just, they kind of started us at the beginning. It was interesting. And we'd go through like classics and then, you know, watching movies like Indiana Jones and stuff. Um, Oh, there goes Allison. Bye. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, uh... And I don't know, like our neighbors uh, were missionaries to Spain and they bought, they came home from Spain, from Barcelona with a VHS camera and they let us borrow it. And Aaron and I just started shooting stuff (laughs) and I don't, I feel like we never gave that camera back. At at what age was that? That would have been like six.
1: Wow. (laughs) Six years old, you're just playing with a
0: Yeah, I mean Aaron was nine, so yeah, I mean like... He, he was always more of the guy with the camera shooting, uh-huh, yeah. and I would be like, well, let me see if I can do an impression, and, you know, like, so, yeah. yeah. So, so it seems like
1: y- your brother provided that kind of uh, platform for you to start performing, like, point the camera at you, and you just go, what? Yeah,
0: nice. sort of, sort of, and he did too, though. He was like, it, it, you know, you'll meet him someday, and he's very... Um, some people think of him as very stoic and serious, but he was like a very, he's very silly and he was an incredibly silly kid and, and was to come kind of doing the same thing. We were all just kids, you know, being goofy, but it was when probably I was more around like 10 or so that we started really like shooting short films. And in those, at those days he would be, the director and play all of the main parts in the shorts like we had the, he we made this short called no man is a killer which is a great title because it tells you everything yeah um and uh and he played uh no man who's the hero and hicks who is the main bad guy um, but no man has a mask on so it's easy to be you yeah to one actor both roles and it's a great i think i have a very small role in it i'm one of the machine gun guys yeah but i was proud to play the part and i did a lot of research nice yeah
1: Um, so I'm curious during this time, I guess more towards high school, um, you, you, uh, if you can go back there in your mind and look in your CD player, what CD is in there?
0: My first, you know, one of the first CDs I got wasn't until high school. It wasn't until I was 14 maybe. Yeah. Because, um, my parents were a little unsure about us owning rock records. Um, but they, my parents started out super conservative and now are so, further, so much more liberal the way they parent. Um, you know, I think it, so many, that happens to so many parents where they're just like so concerned about, you know, not their kid not being uh, polluted by the world and becoming like a rapist or something. <laughs> and uh, so it wasn't until I was about 14 that I could start getting, buying my own records. And the first three records that I think I bought were at a pawn shop. Uh, down the street. And it was the Weezer's Blue Album, uh, Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins, and uh, the Toadies record with Possum Kingdom, I think were like my three first records. Wow. And that those were probably the most influential things towards my music taste in high school. Uh-huh. And I was always big into you know, you know know Nirvana and all that rock stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then I think I, I liked a girl... Who turned me on to the Cranberries and Tori Amos? So I also was like a fifteen-year-old kid who would like be brooding, listening to a Cornflake Girl, <laughs> and then listening the next minute listening to the Tool or the Pixies. But, so it was very eclectic, a very eclectic '90s taste. Yeah, yeah, nice. eclectic in in a uh, a rock radio sort of way. Yeah, not yeah. eclectic in like truly uh, touching all genres. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. It was not really that. uh yeah, it's not that impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um.
1: So you, uh, you get homeschooled in high school, and then you get into University of Central Florida. Yeah. Which is where you attend college.
0: I went to college for a minute. Um, yeah. Oh, a minute. Just a basically a minute. Yeah, two semesters.
1: Oh, right, because because it was com- it gets confused because you you and yeah, your brother, me and my brother. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Aaron,
0: <laughs> so Aaron was in film school, and. When I was getting out of high school, or actually still in high school, I was started acting in his fellow students' uh, film shorts at UCF. Excuse me, I'm gonna cry. No, <laughs> just burping. Um, he's crying tears right now. Adam, Adam is, will Instagram it. Uh, Adam like is it. now weeping. <laughs> um, Adam is sobbing. I don't know why. Uh, we uh, so I was in these short <clears> films by, uh, some amazing filmmakers who are out here working now, um, at UCF. And that kind of made me think, oh, I should go here. I should go to school here, even though I knew I wanted to be an actor. Um, so I started at UCF. I actually took my first semester out of high school off. I don't know what I did. I think I was just waiting tables. And then, um, I went to UCF. I was taking all the gen ed courses. Aaron was in the film program and I, I was kind of looking at it and, thinking like is this really gonna do I want to do this for several years at in central Florida because I wanted to move to New York so bad I was trying to move to New York from the time I was 19 and so this is at 19 I I did a semester or two of of UCF and then I was just like you know what I'm just gonna I just gotta go I'm gonna go to New York and try to act you know Mm -hmm. I feel like getting an acting degree from UCF or a film degree from UCF isn't gonna really put me where I want to be so yeah I started trying to move to New York.
1: Yeah. And, um, I think it's worth mentioning. And I realize at this point, I'm going to reference a lot to how I kind of got in touch with band of robbers (laughs) as an entity, (laughs) Jeff Goldsmith's podcast, the Q and a, uh, I attended your screening and, um, heard essentially an hour on it and (laughs) it wasn't enough for me. (laughs) So I have you here now, but anyway, so in that, uh, Q and a, um, Aaron mentioned that he was about to graduate and then couldn't. He had to stick around for a year and he went to his advisor and asked the advisor, do I need to stick around essentially? Yeah. And the answer was no.
0: Yeah, it was basically, (laughs) I think the guy was basically, Aaron had to do non-film classes to graduate and it would have taken another long period of time. And and he was asking the guy, like, how important do you think this is? And the guy was like, well, it'll make your mom happy.
1: Right. And so this idea that, (laughs) the degree would make your mom happy and that's it wasn't enough it what didn't sell Aaron. didn't sell Aaron, but also i think it's it's important especially in this day and age because that was obviously a few years ago and just it's i feel like that's gotten truer as the years have gone on this idea of a degree for the arts yes um i mean i hold a bfa in acting and theater and i'm very happy that i went through the program that i did and i'm am who i am today because of it but in terms of being an actor i don't i wouldn't say it's vital you know
0: yeah, I mean, if you didn't go to Juilliard or you weren't like a, sort of like the star actor at NYU or something like that where there are industry people who are watching it to see who who's, everyone t- is talking about as the special students at that program, it just seems like aside from the obvious that it's good to, to learn and to mm. practice and build up those muscles, I don't know how much it does for you at a lot of places. Who's to say? I mean that's the thing is that there's no there is no clear path to any of this stuff working for anybody. And my wife went to this uh basically like after school acting school program called Young Actors in Tallahassee and she came out of there and she works all the time. Tony Hale came out of there and he's won Emmys, you know, yeah. like it's that one that teacher is very special. And that happens too where it could be in a place like Tallahassee, but I, the way I look at it is like for someone who wants to go to like a film program, I feel like if, if that's the way that you're going to learn how to make films, then that's great. Then go to a place where you're going to be with other students who are going to stay in the industry, meaning like go to USC or UCLA or (laughs) AFI or somewhere in New York, because I think it's tough when you go to like film school in whatever, Cleveland or something. A lot of those people probably aren't going to make it to LA or even if they do it's just they're not going to come with that network that's so important. That's the thing that people always talk about networking and it sounds so cheesy, but really all it means is that people want to work with people they know. That's really all networking is is that they want to work with people that they trust and they know that they're going to do a good job. And so that's why I feel like the film program or an acting program it's important when it's in a place where you can continue those relationships yeah and so makes any sense
1: yeah totally and so for you um i'd imagine that influenced your decision to say to go to ucf for a hot minute and then be like i'm going to
0: new york yeah because to me i i well and some of this whole like networking thing is something i didn't learn then Mm -hmm. i didn't understand that then and i do now since i've been in la for nine years now and it takes like that long to really like People start going. Oh, okay, we know what you do. Yeah, we will let you do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we will allow it. Um, so, so yeah, for me it was just like I just wanted to get acting. I wanted to be working, and so I went out to New York, and I had this plan. I had some friends of mine had gone to New York and modeled, and they were, and in doing that, they got like commercial agents and stuff, and would go out for some acting things. And so I was like, I'll go and try to get a modeling agent and that, and they'll pay to put me in an apartment so I can get a place to live. And then I'll use them to get an acting agent. That was my actual plan at 19. (laughs) So I moved to, so I went to New York at 19. I met with like all the modeling agencies and they, all turned me down, and then I and then a year later, I guess I thought, well, maybe I'm handsomer now. So like at 20, I tried again, and a couple of them were like, yeah, maybe, but uh, we're not gonna move you here. We're not gonna pay to move you here. So they all turned me down, and then it when I turned 21, um, I was at that point thinking, oh, maybe I'll just move to LA because I'm not handsome enough. <laughs> and, and so and so I uh, I had a buddy named Joel Hendrick who was moving to New York to write a novel and he did and he moved to New York to write a novel and he moved to this 10 by 7 hostel on 94th street between Weston and Riverside. And so it's just one tiny closet room. There's no bathroom, no kitchen that's shared with the entire floor, the entire hall. There's like two halls per floor. And so he goes, listen, I'm going to be in this, uh, in this tiny little shitty room and you can come stay here (laughs) if you want to for free while you're saving up money to go to LA. And I was like, of course, cool. I'm 21. I don't need like possessions. <laughs> and so I I moved into this 10 by seven room with my buddy Joel and he slept on the bed and I slept on the floor. And so if he wanted to get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I'd have to roll over so he could open the door. That's how small this place was. <laughs> um, and we lived like that for 10 months in New York. But that was, I did get signed with a modeling agency called like Boss it was boss bread so boss models was kind of a bigger agency and they had a like a division for not quite as handsome guys called bread and so was it bread like bread the like food, a loaf or of bread are you serious yeah yeah like a loaf of bread I don't know <laughs> how sexy or like you know like why is that a cool name for a model agency? and it's just men I think um,
1: <laughs> it's because the bread is warm you don't usually exactly. it hot like, oh it's yeah warm. it's warm
0: <laughs> This is not like a hot loaf this is just warm kind of like a little bit stale bread yeah these are the guys that uh, you know for Kmart ads oh, that's funny. and so this guy Calvin French was the was this Jamaican very like flamboyant Jamaican model agent and I loved him he was great and he, I should show you this, some of the pictures that he took of me. He took the craziest pictures of me. <laughs> but, um, but I basically like week one, I was like, look, I'm an actor. I want to get a meeting with an, with an acting agency. And I was so uh, set on signing with Philip Seymour Hoffman's agent because of, he was my favorite actor at the time. I and mean, is still, I think is one of the greats. But I was like, I'm, I want to sign with uh, Paradigm. Um, with Philip Seymour Hoffman's agency I'm just telling this to my like Jamaican booker who's just like (laughs) book a runway show first man like you're not doing anything for us and uh you know you're you're barely handsome you're a bread you're bread (laughs) handsome and uh and so they go well actually we have a deal with Paradigm and we we send our models to them for their beauty division for people like auditioning for toothpaste and stuff toothpaste commercials I've never auditioned for toothpaste, but, you know, toothpaste commercials. So so they set up a meeting for me. And I go in to – I meet with this woman who's in the the quote-unquote beauty division, you know, basically just bread. And she – and I say to – I was, like, such a confident kid. I was very naive. And I just had a lot of confidence. And I was just like, I am not a model. I'm an actor. Um, I brought these two VHS tapes of short films I did Um, and you should watch them like I'm an actor I want I don't want to be going out for you know Gillette commercials I want to be auditioning for movies and so she was kind of laughed at me but like seemed like sort of charmed by how stupid and naive I was and she was like well it's a slow day maybe I can check them out. And those those on those VHS were the UCF short films that I acted in through my later years of high school. She called me that night and she's like, "I watched your movies and I think you should meet with the film and TV people." And uh, they signed me. And I signed with Philip Seymour Hoffman's agent. And so um, Sarah Fargo was my first acting agent in in New York. And my first auditions were. Uh, Troy, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and the Tarzan TV show. Those were my first three uh, wow. auditions. So it was great. Like yeah, it yeah. was, it was one of those. Oh whoa! How did that just happen? Like I just pushed that <laughs> yeah. door I'm open. And... I'm
1: curious about Troy. What part for Troy? The Brad Pitt?
0: No, the Garrett um, oh. Headland part.
1: Oh no! But I meant the Brad Pitt film. But uh, yes, the Brad Pitt film, yeah. Troy. Yes, Garrett Headland. So. I What's haven't seen name? the movie. The, bro- the the nephew or the, yes. the little one.
0: Uh, the little one. Wow! <laughs> I haven't seen it. I never saw that movie. Ah, uh, is it good? I, I
1: haven't seen it in so long. I mean, yeah. I
0: love that movie just because of the sheer epicness. It's the epicness. And, yeah, and it's
1: pretty. It's like it's just pretty cool. Yeah, um, and I like. I'm a fan of history, so uh,
0: history and Brad Pitt. It's a great yeah. combo.
1: I feel like if I watched it now, I'd definitely have different opinions about it. I
0: think <laughs> it's a little bit, a little bit soft, like a little cheesy. Um, I thought you haven't seen it though well I think I mean I've seen bits when it's on HBO ah, okay. or whatever, but I've never sat down and watched that I've seen like <clears throat> you know people say lines heroically into camera that type of thing but yeah. never like <laughs> really never watched it yeah yeah you know, I got gotcha. to finish yeah it's no gladiator but... it's no gladiator <laughs> yeah which yeah. I don't even know I'm curious Like I haven't seen that in 10 years I wonder how that holds up I'm sure it's still great oh I'm sure it's even better yeah. now
1: with all the stuff that's come in that's you'd true. appreciate it more you know
0: yeah it's like cheese and wine and stuff actually yeah. cheese shouldn't be 10 years old <laughs> maybe three days maybe three days is okay <laughs> yeah um wow
1: so you weaseled your way into philip seymour hoffman's agents yeah. uh <clears throat> roster congrats and then it, so you're going out for these really
0: great parts great parts that i didn't stand a chance at getting but i you know i think about that time and i don't think about that time very often anymore but now, now you've got me thinking about it. And there's <laughs> what a I couple of things. There's a couple things that, that, you know, it's like that, you know, youth is wasted on the younger, or, <clears throat> or like, I wish I could just tell myself a couple of things. Not that I regret any of it because it was great. Yeah. But I think I didn't understand what a golden ticket I had been handed, you know, and I what I, I just had that, like, I think I had like too much confidence. And not that I was a cocky kid or anything. I was very nice and I was very humble, or I was like, yeah. I was never like a problem. But I didn't. People would say stuff like, oh, you should get into a great class or something. I'd be like, oh no, actors are just good actors or not good actors. You know, like <laughs> that's kind of how I felt about it. Okay. <laughs> which is ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. And I'd study now. Yeah. You know, and it's so helpful. And um, so there are things like that where I feel like, oh, I probably would have done a little bit better in those days, if I had done more of the work, like if I wasn't in school studying acting as well, like, yeah, go to school and go on auditions. It'd be great. Why not? Um, But I did work. I, you know, I, I somehow was like the idea of what a drug dealer looks like in on television, which I think is what basically like a, what a bread model is, is that that's how I got into that? Is I just look like a television drug dealer. And so I played a drug dealer, I think, four or five times on TV. Like Law and Order. Yes. Uh, I killed my girlfriend on the jury. Mm-hmm. Um, I got killed, I think, on something. Yeah. Gotcha. But I wasn't booking a pilot. Like that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like pilot season, you're like, oh, I need to get a pilot. And I was also too choosy then. Like I would pass on stuff, and I hadn't, I hadn't worked, and I would just pad be like, "It's a vampire." What, show. what so year stupid. was this? I mean, Two thousand three, four, five. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah.
1: So I feel like, well, that was a time like before the writer strike, before oh, digital yeah. media really started to change things. So like, it's kind of understandable. So I think you can forgive yourself for that.
0: I yeah. Well, and I, <laughs> and so that is that is when digital media was starting to blow up and, and this movie Tadpole sold at Sundance for like 3 million bucks. And that was mm-hmm. the beginning of indigent, uh, Gary Winnick's thing. Yeah, yeah. And that, and so that's when <clears throat> I called Aaron and be like, Hey, you have cameras. I know actors. Let's make a movie. And that was, and really, that led to the last romantic, <clears throat> that led to the last romantic. Yeah. Which, uh, I still haven't watched, but I would love
1: to. I watched the trailer though, and it looks great. And Thank I've you. read great things about it, such as it's the most beautiful
0: cinematography,
1: in, in dv in filmmaking DVD. Yeah. Yeah. which was a very short window of filmmaking yeah yeah it's yeah. like
0: we we owned that two years i guess dude yeah. you owned it it's sd filmmaking yeah. yeah like the most beautiful standard definition of <laughs> cinematography
1: yeah um but uh so it, it uh, i think denver is it the denver international film festival um yeah that sounds like not the right name, but
0: it's, it's the, the Stars
1: Denver International
0: Film Festival because right. Stars is their main sponsor. Right.
1: So, so that's where it made its premiere, and it premiered at South by Southwest, but oh. we won Denver. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Um. So that that pops up on people's radars, um, and obviously starts to change things. Change things for you. you. You filmed it in New York, so that was in your time in New York.
0: Yeah, it was at the end. It was filmed in like oh four. And we, it took a long, we edited for a year on that because it was a $20,000 movie. We had, we went back and did two different pickup reshoots over the course of a year. One time Aaron was too busy. I can't remember what was going on. He might've had like a job he couldn't get out of or something. And so his wife, who who he met in film school, who's a good filmmaker, this girl, Anne-Marie, um, she and I went to New York or she came out to New York. And it was just me and her shooting pickups. Um, it was that kind of filmmaking mm-hmm. experience where it was just like as lo-fi, however we can make it work and get it finished. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until 2006 that we finished it and it premiered at South by Southwest. And that that got us a, a movie agent and was kind of when everyone and it got me a great manager. And it was kind of everyone was like, you guys should come to L.A. You've sort of yeah. done New York like you should come to L.A. And so that's when we started. Yeah, making that. And I'd
1: imagine, so like everyone, most people um, have separated LA and New York, you know, New York is theater, LA is movies. And so it seems like you've always wanted to be in movies. So
0: yeah. And I think you have to, I think you do have to study to be in theater. I think you have to Mm -hmm. go through a theater program. You can't just be, you know, the guy who shows up to New York and then, I mean, maybe that happens for some people, but I auditioned for some plays and I I got some like understudy interest and stuff, but I definitely didn't know how to project and do all that. Like I just hadn't been trained, so I don't think that was gonna be for me. Um, but but in those days, I feel like New York was pretty still pretty viable for for movies and TV. There was a lot more production then than there is now. It seems like, but uh-huh. then again, I was just in New York, and it seems like they're, they're getting a lot of
1: TV. I now. think there was a dip. Yeah. After you moved here, and then now it's coming back up. There was a recession, yeah, too, yeah. like 2008. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. Killed a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, what got us, <clears throat> got us out.
1: So you come out to LA after The Last Romantic gets all that buzz, and...
0: Yeah, you know, what, what happened in those years? That was, like, <laughs> such a weird... I'm trying to, like, that was such... That was the beginning of me realizing that I could be funny as a part of work. Like, it's like that hadn't occurred to me because when I wanted to be an actor, the model to me were, I loved De Niro and I loved, you know, like Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino and all these like guys who came out of New York and even like Dean and Brando. And I always thought of it like I wanted to have like this dramatic profession. But when I moved to LA, that was the beginning of things like Funny or Die and YouTube really like becoming a viable place where people were putting content that was getting seen i think the huge web series was that um greg vader the do you remember that the grocery store it was like darth vader in a grocery store no. It was a phenomenon i mean they would get millions and millions of views it was it was when there was like so f- much less on back YouTube. in the days
1: of the dramatic prairie dog probably the, and I don't know that you don't it's like the first viral the dramatic period of the
0: oh yes that, yeah. that period exactly it was e bombs <laughs> world days basically. I remember that yes okay. yes and so it was like people were starting to make funny content that they would put up and then just let it gather views And let it gather views yeah and so I was working in a nightclub um, I was working in this nightclub called the Social Hollywood and it's the old athletic club on Hollywood no on Sunset Boulevard yeah it's on Sunset and it's like This is where like John Wayne used to hang out and all these old like classic legends. And now these some weirdos decided to make it like they wanted it to be that for now, you know, they want DiCaprio there and all those people. And so, you know, going through training, there was a a nightmare. I remember this, there was this French um, manager and he uh, would just like. I'd have a rag and I was like a bus boy and I'd have like a rag in my pocket and he'd start yelling at me and shooting me out and then he got fired for sexually harassing all the girls. But <laughs> um, but it was like just such a strange, it was a strange job and uh, it, those people were there. So like my first week there, like there would be a party where it was like Robert Downey Jr. and Leonardo DiCaprio and Cure Knightley and all these people were there for a dinner party yeah. and then hanging out and stuff. And, and that, this, was, that and, was my introduction to LA. Yeah, and this is while you have a movie agent I have a movie agent. I'm auditioning all the time, but it's just hard, you know, because I'm not, no one knows who I am. So it's, it's very hard to, even if you have a good audition for it to be meaningful, if you're not recognizable. And so that's when I met this bar back named Ryan Judd, who worked at the same place. And we just really hit it off and we just like, let's shoot stuff. So we ended up uh, shooting this web series called Clark Kent has a dream. And (laughs) it's where I play Superman. Um, But I'm an alcoholic and I just want to be known for who I really am, want to be like a writer. (laughs) And so I want to write a novel. And he plays Jimmy Olsen, who's infatuated with me and lets me move in with him because now I'm broke and I lost my job at the Daily Planet. And uh, we put it up on Funny or Die and people really liked it and it got us some traction. And from that, we wrote this pilot and... um, aaron and i directed it and ryan and i acted in it called the geniuses it was this different thing and we sold this comedy central we just took it to a tv festival and uh comedy central was there we did a speed pitch with them and we gave them a dvd and like this this tv executive named jack Hergeth watched it and called us in and we sold the show and that was that was the beginning of that like oh just make your own stuff just mm-hmm. like we kind of did that with the last romantic but it's not a commercial movie there's no real viable broad audience for that movie it's about a poet who's never written any poetry who thinks he's a genius yeah. and so making this like superman show and then this spec pilot about these two idiots there it was like more commercial and it was our voice it was just our tone and so in selling those that really i feel like started the ball rolling for us um in a new way, in a different way, which is funny because we make something like The Last Romantic and you're, I was still very naive and my expectations were very high. Like we'll sell this like Tadpole, we'll sell it for $3 million and we'll all be, get rich and famous contracts. The, the Hollywood money. The Hollywood money. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and that didn't happen. And so it just was like. We've had so many restarts in our career where it's like, okay, that didn't blow us up. We have to keep working super hard and just doing our own thing. And that's what those like the web series and the the um the pilot and that web series that Clarkin has a dream has now become an animated show that Ryan and I are pitching what? next month. Yeah. It's called Bob and Randy, and it's Tony Hale and Jack McBrayer are the voices. Um, and so that's all comes from, you know, like a just another thing of like many years ago, just being like, well, we just got to shoot something. We got to keep making content. Yeah. Uh, something that's, you know, our voice, get yeah. our voice out there because it's like no one's going to ever show up to your house and be like, hey, do you have any great stuff? <laughs> do you have any yeah. ideas that we can pay you tons of money for? You seem like a bread model. Yeah. You seem guy. like a bread guy. Like, I saw you. Like, yeah. Not, not bread. Yeah. Not quite <laughs> handsome enough to be like a real model, but still pretty handsome. You got some good ideas though. Yeah. I so, None of it's true. <laughs> it would be, if I was going to make something up, I should make it way more entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is my lie. And I made a web series. I
1: find this incredibly entertaining. Oh, so. good, good, good. Yes. And my niche audience will too. Good. So. Drunk history. Where, where does that come in? Cause you just mentioned comedy central. Did that lead you to being a performer for drunk history or?
0: No. I mean, I think it all plays into the same thing. I was just starting to be, you know, people were starting to think, Oh, Adam's like a, comedic actor writer like he's a funny he's funny you know which is like i said in new york that wasn't ever what i was trying to be i was the same person Mm -hmm. but i just didn't even it what really wasn't like a thing i didn't i should i didn't even know ucb existed in new york really and that's what i should have been doing probably um that would have been great for me yeah but that kind of, you know, the, the, all this comedy stuff just sort of opened up those doors, and I had friends who were working in comedy, and Drunk History happened while um, we were honestly at that time writing Band of Robbers, um, and my buddy Jeremy Connor uh, just offered it to me. Um, he was he was great. He'd cast me in a couple of things, and um, he was directing it, and he just offered it to me, so um, it was great. I was so excited to do that. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool, And that came while that I started working on that right after finishing writing band of robbers. And so I'd be on set making calls. We're trying to like cast band of robbers and we didn't have financing yet. And that was, that was all like happening simultaneously. It wasn't until after drunk history that it really started to come together. But yeah. Cool. So, uh,
1: so 37 minutes later, band of robbers, finally here. (laughs) Band of robbers. (laughs) Uh, This, Pretty incredible film that you've been promoting for the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, okay, so you just mentioned financing. You're, you're like, you're you're trying to get financing and it's not there. Mm-hmm. So uh, you mentioned at the Q&A that for financing, you weren't getting it and nothing was happening. And then you pulled a Warren Beatty, as you right. called it. Right. So you essentially said to people, instead of saying, can you give us money to make this? You said, we're making this. Do you want it?
0: Right. So we have. We basically. So yeah. I guess the story is that Warren Beatty was uh, had a meeting with a with a studio head about a movie, and it wasn't looking good. I think the studio had passed on the movie, so he didn't feel like it was the right thing for them. And Beatty, uh, on the way out of the office, basically every office he popped into to, said, "Hey, we got our movie greenlit, so we're going to be making this movie with you," and so basically it became like a word around town was that it was getting made. And so it would just be too embarrassing for the studio head to say that he had passed on it. So they just ended up making the movie. Um, (laughs) Now I don't know how much of that story is even true. I know that there is something about that story that's true and I'm going to one day figure out what that is, (laughs) but that didn't matter to us. We heard that and we were like, that's a good idea. So we would take meetings and say, you know, we have money. We're going to shoot this in June. We need a little more money, but we're making the movie no matter what. You guys want to be a part of it or not? And in a very like, you know, we'd have great meetings. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like we were being cool guys or anything. And uh, and a lot of people were interested, but you know, as anybody who's trying to make movies that's listening knows, you have to have name actors to get a movie financed. It's crazy unless it's your uncle's money. Like that's about it. Um, And so everyone was like, "Great, we love this script." who's going to play Tom and Huck? And we were like, well, we're offering it to Chris Pine and Joel Kinnaman or whatever. And they'd be like, okay, cool. Let us know what they say. (laughs) And they would say no. And then we'd say, okay, well, we're offering it to Jason Schwartzman and Jesse Plemons. And they'd be like, okay, cool. Let us know what they say. (laughs) And no one wanted to do it. And, and I think that a lot of that was just that there's, I mean, it's even questionable if these actors even read it in many cases, because an agent's job, a lot of it is weeding through like a bunch of upstarts sending them the unfinanced scripts saying that they want their actors to be in it. So I understand the agent's like reticence. Um, but we just weren't getting a lot of love or attention. So June came and went and we didn't make the movie. And so th- our, our whole like Warren baby plan didn't really put, work. <laughs> so I ended up, I went and took a job at Amazon directing um second screen like web content for a new show called Betas for them cuz I just needed a job at mm-hmm. that point. Um Aaron was doing motion graphics and like CGI work for commercials and documentaries and things like that. So he took a bunch of work cuz so we we had spent basically 6 months finishing that script where we weren't getting paid to do anything else and then meeting with people and trying to get it out there. And ultimately we're like, okay, it's not happening yet. We need to get, we need jobs. So we took those jobs, we're doing our thing. And then it wasn't until February or March of the next year that one of those first companies that we met with, Blacklist Digital, who was a post house, but they were interested in getting into production. Uh, Tim's Johnson, the founder of that company called up and was just like, Hey, you know, this script is great. We want to help you do it. And I was like, okay, cool. What does that mean? And he's like, well, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll help you try to help you find money, but also like we can give you everything we offer, you know, as an in-kind investment, which was equivalent to like $150,000. So that was suddenly validated our lie that we had some money. (laughs) So we could go back to people and give like concrete, like this is what we have. Mm -hmm. And we use that to, to leverage, to get a couple other things kind of immediately that made the movie legitimate. Like we could go make it last romantic style at that point. And mm-hmm. so we were planning on doing that because we were like, look, all we really need is 200,000 and we're going to shoot it. Mm-hmm. And we basically had that. So that those other companies, um, started to become more interested. And then we, we met again with whitewater films, um, Who we had met with this guy, Nick Morton, who was an executive there, who's a really sharp guy. He really loved the project, but he, he, you know, being a sensible person, knew that it needed like names Mm -hmm. for them to be able to come on board. But then we got it, he slipped it to Rick Rosenthal, who runs Whitewater Films. And Rick really liked it. And he met with us, and we had a great meeting. And it was just one of those things where it's like we really hit it off, and they believed in us, and they believed in the project, and they brought in enough money to where it was really real. And that was kind of. At that point, we were off to the races. And where was the casting at at that point? Matthew Gray Goobler and Hannibal Burris were attached, but nobody else. Gotcha. And Goobler, because he's a friend, and we, I, you know, from, you know, yeah. six, seven years ago, I was telling him about it and saying, I want you to be, and he'd be like, cool, yeah. Yeah. And Hannibal, because I we wrote it for him, basically. You, you wrote that part for him? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so one of
1: the things that I think is so amazing about that film is, is just the alchemy of, of everything. You know, the, the balance between crime and drama and comedy and, and love and danger. and just, So that just being all the moods and then all the acting, you know, you, you, uh, one of the incredible things is, is I think it's a great exercise in likability, especially on your part. Oh, thank you. As Tom Sawyer. Um, and so, I mean, uh, did you know when you wrote it and when you were casting it, that that was kind of, I don't want to say critical, because I'm sure it's, it would have been successful in its own way, but was that on your mind when you were casting it and putting it together? And...
0: Just that the that crazy alchemy, the mix of all those elements coming together? I guess. Well, so you have the
1: script, so the moods uh, uh, alchemy is is um, is present
0: in the story. Yeah. You know.
1: And
0: we then... knew that we were making something that was like, so tonally ambitious that it could easily fail. Um, We knew that we were trying to shoot something that we would, we wanted people to laugh hysterically and then later be super tense. We wanted people to hate Tom Sawyer and love Tom Sawyer at the same time. Uh, So all that stuff, we were aware of how dangerous all that was. And that's why it was so hard to cast Tom Sawyer because there was just we were seeing great actors, but there was nobody who I feel like I had just lived with it. I knew it in and out because we had written it. Um, And so that's what, where the conversation of me doing it started. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the mix of tones and action and drama and comedy and romance and just this friendship, love story was definitely a delicate thing that we, I think we only pulled off because of the trust that our producers gave us. Mm-hmm. They never, they never told us not to do anything that we wanted to do. They would give good ideas and things, but there was never any like clashes or pushback on what we were trying. Our tone, which was amazing, and that's the only way something like this happens. Yeah, it's like when you watch a movie like, <clears throat> um, I don't know, like Raising Arizona, or like uh, even a movie like. Boogie Nights where you, it just like that guy just got to go out and make his movie, you know, um, that's just his movie. And that's so rare. You know, I think so often once money gets involved, money is scared mm-hmm. and wants to make sure you don't lose the money. And so you, that out of that fear comes bad influence as opposed to out of trust, you have confidence and, uh, support. Because I think that any anybody who's like leading with fear or or directing with fear um, or giving input because of fear, it's probably not the right advice.
1: Yeah. Um, however, I believe you mentioned uh, is it John Will one yes. of your producers? John Will is our, the lead producer on the movie. So he made a recommendation that. So originally wasn't in it in the story, I believe. The showing Tom and um, Huck as kids,
0: yeah, in the development process. This is when we were writing it. John Will is an amazing producer, a great. He's great creatively and great logistically, and like, and he helped us find all the financing too. Um, He felt like it was important to get people rooted into this story and this modern day adaptation that we show that relationship with Tom and Huck that it's been around forever. That not only will it invest you in Tom in a way that is uh, Tom and Huck's relationship in a way that is necessary for you to go on this journey with them, but also it'll root the audience in the fact that we're telling a Tom and Huck story. So let's see them as kids. Let's remind people of Tom and Huck as kids, and then we can see them as adults and get into that. And I think he was totally right. Yeah, yeah totally right. At first, I was like, we were just worried about it financially because you're immediately casting two kids is costing you so much more money Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to shoot with kids because of the limitations yeah um but he was right and it was worth it and those kids were amazing yeah so in in
1: this day and age of it, it seems like a lot of movies are made like just improv we'll shoot it all and we'll fix it you know we'll put it together in editing like we'll find the story there yeah, you guys had a because I believe you said like ninety percent of what was written or something or what was shot was used or. Um, it it yeah. seems like essentially what you wrote on the page and your cinematographer really hit this, um, it drove this home this idea of prep, saved you guys a lot. Yeah. Of uh, being prepared and and shooting it, how does it feel that it seems like you you came up with a game plan that you executed and, it you know.
0: Yeah, it's. It's, um, it's so necessary, I think, especially with a movie like this, as you said, is super ambitious. It's not like we were, we weren't making a movie that could be an improv movie. There's the script was developed to the point where there weren't, we knew that we probably weren't going to cut any scenes out of the movie because they all had something to do with furthering the story. And it would have been very difficult, uh, for the movie to stand on its legs without one of the scenes. So that also, uh, makes it to where on set you have to pull these scenes off because you know that if you don't pull one of them off you're going to have a bad scene in your movie and then it's going to sour the whole thing. So we just spent a lot of time in prep as much as we could. Like and I say a lot of time I know that like my friend is shooting a movie right now that they were in pre-production on for a year basically and because they have a bazillion dollars and that happens, you know, that's great. But that we didn't have that necessarily, mm-hmm. but we had a couple months and we did, you know, everything we could to ensure that 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 script came alive in a way that made sense. And um, from storyboarding or or doing previs to just shot listing and making a visual guide, um, and casting people that you that just got it, I think was a huge part of it. Because we you know that on a set like that, also you're going to be shooting more pages a day than than is comfortable, so you don't have that time to like be rehearsing a scene and go, you know what guys, I don't think we're quite getting it. Let's, let's rehearse for another couple hours and talk about this. And like, you can't, you have to keep, you have to shoot. And so it was very necessary to cast actors that we're just going to do it. Yeah. Right. And nail and, it. And nail it. And I think yeah.
1: we got that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, talking about yourself right now? No? Uh, I think we <laughs> got that with Adam Nee <laughs>
0: as Tom Sawyer.
1: Yeah. Well, you carry the, the whole thing. So uh, yes. yeah, nice. <laughs> makes sense. Um, so so with that in mind, it, I, I've, this idea came to my mind when I was watching this, like, this idea of a, of, of a filmmaker's age, if you will, like how old that filmmaker is. Because, like, like, I'm curious on your circuit of promoting it, do people consider you young filmmakers or not? Because y- it doesn't have that feeling of you guys are renegades. Like, this was really well thought out and it's smart and it's very advanced filmmaking, uh, like, across the board. And so I'm wondering, what was your experience like in showing this movie?
0: That's a very interesting question. Um, You know, I've been thinking about age so much uh, for a lot of reasons. One, because uh, I think our culture is like maybe more ageist than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Um, And because, you know, I'm married to a 30-year-old actress, and that's obviously for women, it's even more harsh. And she's doing great, and she's about to book like, five jobs, but it's, it's just, they have to think about it more. And I have to, I think about it too. If as an actor, as a director, it's not as much of an issue, but it still is where Aaron and I, we would, you know, since we premiered at the LA film festival, we got a lot of the town basically to to watch it. And so we had a lot of meetings after with, with studios and producers and stuff. And I think people were often surprised at how old we were. I think they thought we were going to be younger um, not necessarily because of the film, but because they saw us and like, oh, you guys are super young guys. So when they find out we're, that we're over 30, they're like, oh. And it's almost like they seem really disappointed. <laughs> like, oh, you only have about five years left of your career. <laughs> like, you know, because once you're 40, you're done. Like, it's over. Which isn't isn't actually true at all. But there is just like this weird vibe where i feel like everyone wants people to be like xavier dolan or something where yeah. they want you to be like 19 years old yeah because um, that's gonna bring publicity it's like, exciting Look How young this guy yeah is. he's yeah. so fucking young and he <laughs> knows how to shoot like yeah um and i think that there's like this weird disappointment i even think like politically like i feel like uh it's like societally like, yeah societally well i even think i honestly and i'll make a prediction here i think that there's a i think that marco rubio will probably be the republican nomination and i think that because of his age i think that's going to play a big part i think that that's why uh, i think that's why bernie sanders isn't electable probably is because he's too old to people they think he's cra- people start thinking you're crazy cuz you're old <laughs> it's just such a strange fascinating thing mm-hmm. in our culture where it's like, it's like my, my parents' generation, I feel like they looked at age as, as like older people are wiser, and now it's like older people are crazy. Yeah. And younger people have, are in the know. Are in the know and are cool because they have so many Twitter followers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Everybody listens to Everybody them. Everybody listens to them. Oh, my Twitter. God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Selena Gomez has more influence than, you know, great thinkers who are 75 years old. Interesting.
1: So so, for you, though, in your experience with this movie, you say that at first they're disappointed, but
0: but no, eventually I eventually
1: do your capabilities shine
0: through. I mean, absolutely. Oh, yeah. no. I mean, it's like <laughs> this movie's been a game changer for us. It's great. We're like, yeah. we're going to get a lot of work out of this. And it's I think that we've I think that this movie is like that. And I've kept feeling that with like Last Romantic and our Comedy Central show and all these things where I'm like, oh, this is the one that's going to like. <laughs> Make it to where I can just get paid to do this as a job. Yeah. Um, I do believe that Band of Robbers is finally going to be that one. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll check back in we'll a few months. We'll check back in a few months. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's it, it was. Yeah. I mean, and I think some of the age thing is just sort of like a, it's more of a, a bigger topic of my, maybe my perspective of like a cultural shift that I've seen as, a, as I've lived here as a human being. But mm-hmm. I, uh, for the movie, it's just more of like a, a of first 15 minutes of a meeting surprise moment where they're just like, Oh, I thought you guys were 24. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, it's, it's not a hindrance for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause we are yeah. still so pretty, <laughs> young. Yeah. yeah,
1: I got you. So for act as an actor. Yeah. I feel like right now there's, a, there's awesome, You know, I mean, you just talked about, you know, everybody's view of youth and everything. And there's such a weird, so many weird shifts going on. One of them is, uh, I guess I could describe it as, as the currency of an actor, like like proving your worth to the point that you can start booking stuff. Yeah. So in my experience as, as an actor, um, it seems like there's this push from a lot of sources of this idea of this old model of book, you know, you get your co-stars and your guest stars, and then you start getting considered for series regulars, and then you move on to the movies. Right. But because of this huge shift... That seems like such an outdated model, especially because a a guest star, co-star has been expanded so much because of digital outlets. Yeah. It's like it it, it devalues it to a certain degree. And there's also more actors than ever trying to do it.
0: And also you can get a a successful movie actor to do a guest star and just make an offer to them.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of Hollywood money that you mentioned uh, being Mm -hmm. dissipated so much Mm -hmm. that it almost seems like now what is the most valuable thing is a... Is it, is it like a, a feature film performance, or being responsible, or being part of a feature film, such as Band of Robbers. That that it do, it doesn't have to like sell for millions of dollars. Doesn't have to do this, but it has to, as you said, get on the radar of, of the town
0: Yes. You know. Yeah, I don't, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen with Band of Robbers. You know, I am so <laughs> curious. What you're saying is true. I think. Um, and I'm so, it's been out for a week and a half. I'm so curious <laughs> to see what's going to happen with this movie. Um, it, it, you know, because it's like you there's no, there's like no obvious way to having, how you get currency as an actor, but you're 100% right. And that term is exactly right. It's sort of just like you're, you being recognizable is like more currency than you being an incredible theater actor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's again goes back to like social media stuff. There are casting directors who are like I saw a casting director the other night at some event and she was lamenting that producers are handing her handing her printouts with Twitter followers for people that they're that are auditioning. And that's just crazy. And that's also we're in this flux stage because I think things like Twitter are not going to be considered quite so important, but I do think that social media presence is, I don't necessarily think that Twitter is going to remain what it is. Um, Because even already you can like, you look at the impressions of a tweet, like you can get technical, like someone can have 2 million Twitter followers and it's only like 5,000 of those people will click on a link that they share. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that like, the what makes an actor valuable and how an actor can get rise above the surface is so nebulous and what you know what is it there's no i have no idea what's going to happen yeah. <laughs> you know it's such a, a uncertain area well
1: is how how would you say where would you or where would you rank the importance of the the ability to i guess carry a story or, or be a storyteller as an actor like like the way that you as Tom Sawyer, you know, struck that line of likability and kind of a dick, but and you know, so likable.
0: Thank you. I hope, I mean, I hope that people, you know, the hope is that people would watch Band of Robbers and go, oh, that guy can carry a movie in um, with a really difficult character. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also like, there's so many movies being made that... Someone can watch that movie and go, oh, it's good. He's good. And then they go to Sundance and see 150 new movies with 150 guys that they go, oh, those guys, that's good. It's good. You know, there's a lot of stuff right now. There's yeah. so much stuff in the marketplace that having something that transcends the the marketplace and gets you to, you know, like is, is like, a, you know, like a Owen Wilson and Bottle Rocket, like that type of thing. Who knows? Because it's a totally different time. You know, mm-hmm. in 1996, Owen Wilson could be in, in Bottle Rock. And he's like, you watch that movie and you're just like, you get it. Or, or Vince Vaughn in Swingers. You watch that and you're like, yes. Mm-hmm. This guy is a star. There's no debating it. And that's at a time when there's like 200 movies come out in a year. Yeah. Now 12,000 movies get made a year. And Netflix puts up like 50 new movies a day. You know, it's just like so crazy how much stuff there is. So it's, it, it, it's interesting to see like what rises to the surface and what doesn't. And mm-hmm. I not don't, nah, don't know what's going to happen with Ben Robbers <laughs> yet. We'll definitely you can check back in on that in a couple months too. Yeah. Yeah, we'll
1: do a follow up. We'll do a follow up yeah. too. Yeah. And you can ask me more questions. I'll ask about you more. my I'm dangerous s- life.
0: Sorry, I haven't asked you nearly enough questions so
1: far. <laughs> it's okay. Um I, with that in mind, um the idea of Hollywood money dissipating and everything and the actors that you got for your script um, uh, this idea of the there's the want to do projects and the need to do projects hmm. you know like as an actor you're like oh I really want to do that but my agents won't be happy with it because it's like no money you know um, so I guess uh, what was your experience with the cast of Band of Robbers in terms of that
0: you know you know the only reason an actor does a movie like Band of Robbers is because they really want to do it um, because we We were so, you know, like the movie is such a a big, difficult uh, production that we knew that all the money needed to go on screen. So none of the actors got paper bags full of money. Like this was just SAG low budget scale. Um, Everybody got paid the same. No one got anything, any special treatment. So for an actor that is used to working on a television show and making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a week or whatever, you know, if people are going to show up and do this movie. It's because they really wanted to. And we were so lucky because that's the only, that's the only reason that the movie got pulled off is because we had people like Matthew Gray Gubler is just like a hero on set. He's the type of person that makes everybody happy all day. He's so nice to everybody. He's such a cheerleader. Um, you have Kyle Gallner who cared so much about this and his performance and worked so hard. Melissa Benoist is one of the most charming people you'll ever meet. Like it was just Eric Olson who plays Sid Sawyer in the movie is a friend of mine. And he, that was like a total favor. Why would Eric Olson come in and play like a two day part in a movie like this? You know, he could have been the lead of the movie. He couldn't because he was on a TV show, but we worked, he came in and gave up his week, two weekends to do that for us. It's just people wanted to be there. And that was so important. And, um, I think it was definitely like a, I want to do this kind of a thing. As a matter of fact, Kyle Garner just told me when we were together in New York last week that, Um, you know his agents were pushing him to take a different movie because he was up for two movies and his agents were pushing him to take it and he said no I'm doing this one and they were not happy about it and they ended up being able to work it out to where he did both movies but it was just that kind of attitude that Mm. made it such a great and successful set experience I feel like
1: and so I think when you're talking about stuff that rises to the top it's 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 all about the story and like because what made them want to do it is is that it's a great script it's a great story um and it's a great experience as a movie and i'm sure making it was a blast you can tell through this fun (laughs) you can tell through the yeah through the screen that it looks like awesome fun any any fun stories you want to tell before we wrap up i
0: mean (laughs) oh man fun (laughs) stories you know it's interesting, I think that it was probably like, it was probably a little bit more of just like fun for everybody else. I had a great time, but I was when you're the director and the actor, it's like there's so much um, to think about all the time that I was a little bit preoccupied. Yeah, <laughs> but I did um, I did have an amazing time and so much of that is in part to the fact that from the cast to the crew, like this crew was smiling all day. It was amazing. It was like not a regular set Mm -hmm. experience where you've been working a 14-hour day and everyone is still smiling at the end of the day and excited to come back to work the next day. But yeah, I mean, as far as like one fun experience, I don't know if I can... All right. Think of anything (laughs) great. I wish I could. I think it's just
1: great to know that you've lost so much crew to food poisoning. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yes, in in Barstow. In In Barstow. Barstow, Yeah, we lost (laughs) like a third
0: of our crew to food poisoning. (laughs) And while we were shooting the biggest scenes in the movie, and that had like actual practical effects and stunts. And that was insane. That was insane. Going to Barstow was insane, but also really, really fun. It's fun. It's like fun To be in some strange town with a bunch of cool people that are excited <laughs> to be there for a movie, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I think that there was never a point in this process where we lost sight of the fact that hey, we're making a movie, this is good, mm-hmm. no matter what happens, this is pretty cool, that we're a movie. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, so, um, it's
1: available now, VOD, I mean, I think Amazon, to, Voodoo, iTunes, Google,
0: yeah, Google, YouTube, it's uh, it's available on DirecTV, on Dish, on Cox, it's sort of everywhere. Um, that you like to watch movies. Uh, (laughs) Your favorite place? It's there waiting for you. Yeah. Awesome. Well uh, thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much for yeah. Everybody be sure to follow Oh yeah on Instagram. (laughs) Follow Adam Nee on Instagram and you will be
0: in for some really creepy
1: creepy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, I mean unless there's anything else, I guess it's time for that sign-off. Okay, Okay. I'm excited.
0: (laughs) Um Side Kickback Radio
1: Cha. Going for the sexy, I
0: take it. Yeah, I'm going to get late because of that. The bread. I'm going for the no, bread. That was the bread. So.